I'd say the church would say amen, amen and amen. I'm so thankful this morning that uh, we have a resurrected Jesus. And uh, I'm thankful that we have something to celebrate, aren't you? Amen. If you could be turning in your Bibles to Acts chapter number 5, I kind of want to paraphrase the narrative getting up to this point. Uh, you know the church was birthed in Acts chapter number 2. The Bible says that the day of Pentecost or the feast of Pentecost had fully been completed and the Spirit of God came. Uh, so we, we pray sometimes that the Spirit come down. He's already come down. He came down at Pentecost and Peter uh, gets up and is simply a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. The Bible says that 3,000 people repented and received Christ Jesus uh, as their Lord and Savior and were filled with the Holy Ghost. For the first time in history, the Spirit of God inhabited a human body uh, like it was in the book of Genesis. It was back then. And now the church is birthed. And the apostles are, uh, the Bible says, giving many signs and wonders as witnesses to the resurrection. And the city comes in an uproar uh, because they had dismantled religion. Uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Pharisees and the Sadducees bring them to a, a court of law. And, and Peter says, we ought to obey God rather than man. We can't keep quiet about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they began to give testimony, choir testimony uh, to the resurrection. And by the way, that's what we are. We are, we are testifiers that Jesus Christ has been resurrected and that he has resurrected us. Amen. Amen, if you study the Bible. And then you, I want to really just give you two or three verses this morning about how they defended the res resurrected Jesus Christ while they were being tried or inspected. If you would, stand to your feet in honor of the reading of the word. Acts 5, verse number 30. The Bible says, the God of our fathers raised or resurrected up Jesus Christ, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Right. Him God has exalted to his right hand, notice carefully, to be prince and savior, to give, so these are gifts, to give, the Bible says, repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. Verse 32 goes on and says, and we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Would you pray with me, please? God, today in Jesus' name, uh, Lord, we humble ourselves around the word. Lord, thank you for the great praise and worship uh, that we have experienced because you are alive. And Lord, as we look at the word now, may you speak to each one of us. God, may you encourage us in our faith, those that are truly Bible Christians. God, those that are not, Lord, by your love and your grace and your mercy and your loving kindness and long-suffering, would you draw those folks to yourself so that they can know the Christ that we know. We give you praise and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing and you may be seated. I want to preach this morning on why God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Why did God raise? Why was the resurrection of Jesus Christ a necessity? They're in their testimony before the council and they shared that the man that they had murdered by crucifixion was 
Jesus Christ and that God raised him from the dead. And then there's some profound words he says to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins and to give the Holy Spirit to those that would obey him. Do we understand this morning that the entire doctrine of Christianity rests upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Uh, Do we understand that the resurrection is what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world? Listen, uh, uh, Buddhism does not have a resurrected Savior. Islam does not have a resurrected Savior. Mormonism does not have a resurrected Savior. The only people that have a resurrected Jesus Christ are Christians. It's Christianity. And the resurrection separates Christianity from every other religion or cult or doctrine in the world. And do we understand that 1 Corinthians 15 says... That apart from the resurrection, our faith is in vain. And that our preaching and teaching about the resurrection of Christ is in vain. Do we know that the Bible teaches that the resurrection of Christ proves that he is the Son of God or that he is the Messiah that was, that was predicted that would come? Look at Romans 1.4. I have it on the screen for you. The Bible says, and declared to be the Son of God. With power, according to the spirit of holiness. How? By the resurrection from the dead. So why did God raise Jesus Christ from the dead? Why is this important? First of all, notice with me that the resurrection exalts Jesus Christ back to his position in heaven. The Bible says him, that's Christ, has God exalted with his right hand. That's authority, that's power, that's victory. To be prince, interesting word. I use the word exalt and it's in the text here. It really means that God the Father with his supernatural power in his mighty hand brought life back to the dead human body of Jesus Christ. He brought him back to life and he exalted him back to his heavenly position that he had in heaven before he was incarnated in flesh to be for us what we cannot be. And when you study the gospels, you learn that God used an earthquake to break the seal of the tomb. But, but God the Father himself Amen. raised Jesus Christ, humanity from the dead. And the Bible says he raised him with his right hand to be prince. Now listen, something had to happen happen in heaven before anybody on earth could even be saved. I mean, there had to be something take place in a tabernacle not made with hands, not of this creation. And if Jesus Christ was not exalted to be prince in heaven, nobody on earth could be saved. He had to die as a man. He had to be resurrected. But listen, we forget this. He had to ascend back. Because if he did not ascend back, God could not exalt him as prince. Isaiah prophesied. He said this. He said, for unto us a child is born. That's when Christ was incarnated. Unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. Listen, the prince. 
of peace. So when Jesus came, he humbled himself as a slave and a sacrifice. But after he died and resurrected, he was ascended back as prince. You say, where is his position right now? Well, Romans 8.34 would tell us this. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God the Father. Don't miss, miss this. Who also makes intercession for us. See, if there's not intercession by the prince, there can't be salvation on earth for the sinner. There had to be this intercession. First of all, he was exalted as king. The Bible says he's seated at the right hand and he's sitting on the throne and he's in absolutely complete control. Paul in the epistles in the book of Ephesians, I'm just going to put the Bible on you this morning because that's the, the word of God's where the power is. It says, and what is the exceeding greatness? Ephesians 1, 19 through 21 And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Here it is, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in age to come. Ladies and gentlemen, he's not only king this morning, he's the king of all kings. There'll never be nobody that can even compare to the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus. He's exalted as king, but secondly, notice he's exalted as high priest. You say, what are you talking about when he ascended back to heaven and he was exalted back to his position? Uh, He went into the, the, the Bible says that there's a tabernacle, not of this creation in the heavenlies. And Jesus Christ, he he entered the holy of holies in a tabernacle not made with hands and he presented his blood as a sacrificial lamb on the mercy seat in heaven. And now, now he's interceding, he's praying. That sinners like me and like you would come and repent and receive him. Hebrews 2, 17 would say, therefore in all things he made to be like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. Listen to this, to make propitiation for his people. Can I just stop and shout just one minute? To make propitiation means that Jesus Christ became what I could not become. He did what I could not do. He presented his blood on the mercy seat. God the Father is absolutely pleased. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And now anybody, any sinner, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, any sinner can come through the blood of the high priest of the Lord Jesus Christ and be forgiven and cleansed. Boy, what a great prince we have seated at the right hand of God the Father. Thirdly, he's exalted as Lord. You say, what do you mean, preacher? By Lord, I mean that Jesus Christ, he fought in the arena of sin for you and for my soul and for your soul. And when God raised him up, the Bible says that God crowned Jesus Christ as Lord of all. Listen, he's Lord over death. For the believer, death has been defeated. I want to say he's Lord over the devil. 
The devil don't have any control on this earth. Jesus Christ was exalted as Lord over the devil. He's Lord over sin. He's Lord over everything. He, Philippians, listen to how Philippians says it. The Bible can say it much, much better than I. It says, therefore, God has highly exalted him, given him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those in heaven, of those on earth and those under the earth, how much clearer does it need to be? And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is, say it, Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I hear people say to me all the time, preacher, I, I'm not ready to become a Christian. Well, one day, one day you're going to be forced not to become a Christian, but to become a confessor. That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm telling you, he's Lord. We sang it a while ago. He's Prince. So God raised Jesus from the dead to exalt him in heaven, back to his rightful position as Prince. But then secondly, God raised Jesus Christ from the dead to explain him on earth. The Bible says he exalted him, he raised him from the dead to be Savior. Oh, what a great word. See, prince is who Jesus is in heaven. Savior is who he is on earth. So God exalted him to be prince and savior to explain to us. And he could never be our savior until God exalted him back as prince. Because God the Father had to be pleased. The sacrifice had to be made. The one, and the one and only final sacrifice had to be made because all through the day of atonement, all through all the sacrifices, that was not enough for God the Father to be satisfied. He's only satisfied with his son. The Lord Jesus, the third Savior, has several meanings. When you really take this word Savior and explain it, see, I'm convinced if we don't understand who Jesus is and what he's done, we don't understand why we need to repent and receive him. This word Savior means he's deliverer from the power of sin. The power of sin. When the first human sinned, it produced death. Adam and Eve both sinned. Were separated from God spiritually and then died physically. When God says the wages of sin is death, it means total separation from God. And, but death just simply means there's no activity of God present. And by the way, everybody in the room, we were born dead in our sins and trespasses with no activity of God in us or about us. So God had to send the Spirit. After Jesus took care of business on earth and in heaven, God sent the Spirit to begin to deal with us and to open our understanding so that we could understand that he's delivered from the power of sin. The only way to escape sin, listen, is Christ. Listen, I got the T-shirt on this. Let me give a testimony. Before I was converted, I thought I could control my sin. I thought I could control my drinking. 
Missy and I would say a hundred times, you know what, I, we're just not going to do this anymore. But listen, we couldn't help it. We didn't have any deliverer over the power of sin. Sin has control. Listen, and if you don't know Christ, listen, don't ever judge people that are sinning. Non-believers, that's the best they can do. They can't do any better until they get delivered from the power of sin. And when you get delivered from the power of sin, the Savior comes to live on the inside. And he begins to do something in us that we can't do for ourselves. And he delivers us from the power of sin. Now I've got a choice. I just thought I had a battle before I was saved. Dude, now I've got a tremendous, I've got a civil war going on in my body. You say, what do you mean? Well, when I got converted, and if you've truly been converted, God didn't remove my sinful nature. He didn't remove that part of me that wants to sin. No, he just put himself in me that, does, that had no sin. So I've got a divine nature living in me. I've got a human nature living in me. There's this civil war going on, and whoever I surrender control to is who lives. But thank God I got a choice now. Before I didn't have a choice. Because he's the deliverer. Romans 5, 19 says, For as by one man's disobedience, that's Adam, many were made sinners. So also by one man's, capital M, that's Christ, obedience, many will be made righteous. Not only that, he's redeemer as the payment for sin. You and I were sold to sin and completely bankrupt. No way out. I want everybody to listen to me real carefully. I know you're listening, but I want you to lean in. There's people all across the room this morning. I want you to know I love you in Jesus. Everybody here. But if you don't have Christ, you're bankrupt. And you can't get out. You can't make anything happen. But God sent a redeemer. I'm going to exalt the redeemer this morning. God sent a redeemer to purchase you. And to pay your price. And to pay your debt that you couldn't pay. You say, what, is it, what, what does redemption even mean? Redemption means to purchase and take possession of a sinner in order to set that person free. You say, well, I still sin after I received the Redeemer. I don't have to, but I will. I don't want to, but I do. Read Romans 6 and 7. Those things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Those things that I want to do, I find myself not doing. I find that there's, that there, that, that, that there's a law of sin in me. But I also have got the Redeemer living in me, living in you and I, and Jesus Christ at the cross. Here's what he said. He said to Telestai. He said, it's finished. And our Redeemer was raised Amen. by God the Father to redeem us, to purchase us. Not only is he our Redeemer, but he's the provider as the pardon for sin. He's the only way that anyone that can be pardoned of sin. Well, I love this word pardon. 
You know what it means? It's real simple. It should be an encouraging word to everybody. It means to clear the record. Clear the record. I've told our church family this. Maybe I haven't told you this. It just came to my mind. And it's a, it's a good illustration, I think. My oldest son did a background check on me in the past. And he come up to me one day, Samuel did, and he said, Dad, uh, so tell me, what happened in 1986? I said, son, I got a, it's DWI then. I was driving while impaired and got stopped by the police and got handcuffed and put in the back of a police car and Mom's here. She knows about this. I wouldn't dare call her. <laughs> I called one of my other drinking buddies. They come and got me out of jail. I was never behind bars. Now, I've never been behind bars. But I have been handcuffed. Dad, Samuel said, Dad, what happened in 1986? You got a record with the state of North Carolina. Folks, listen. I had much more of a record against what God knows about me than what the North Carolina, the state of North Carolina knows about me. But the day I got converted to Jesus Christ, are you hearing me? The day I got converted to Jesus Christ, all those sins were cleared and forgiven and cleansed. Why? Because I got dipped in the blood of a sacrificial lamb named Jesus Christ, my pardon, and God the Father pardoned me. He freed me of my record, and he put Christ in me. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become what? The righteousness of God. Praise the Lord. The righteousness of God. North Carolina might think I've still got a record, but in heaven I don't have a record. Amen. Pardon. There's people here this morning and you're, you feel so, I, I know how it feels to be in a service and hear a preacher preach the gospel and not be right. You feel guilt. You feel, you feel shame. I've been there. The greatest day of my life was when I finally admitted what God knew about me. And I confessed it. I agreed with God. And I humbled myself to his feet. You say, preacher, what prayer did you pray? I don't have any idea. But I know this. I got at that altar. And I don't believe you have to be at an altar to be saved. I just believe you got to be where God is. And I confessed and repented and believed. And that night, not a little bit changed. Folks, everything changed. Because my record was clear. Thank God. And now, I'll never stand before God ever and give any account. When I get to heaven, God's not going to say, Son, what happened in 1986? No, he's going to say, what happened in 1993? I'm going to say, that's when I humbled myself and came to Jesus Christ. And at that very moment, that's when my, my lawyer, my advocate's going to stand up on my behalf. He's going to say, Father, he's in me and I'm in him. 
I've got an advocate now. Every time I sin, that intercedes for me. See, confession and repentance after I'm saved is for me. It's not for God. Because in justification, I've been made completely clean. But in sanctification, I struggle and I have to confess and repent daily. To keep my fellowship with my relationship. Amen. Then notice that he, thirdly, he came to extend Jesus Christ to sinners. I want you to notice this next phrase. The Bible says that God raised Jesus from the dead to make him prince and savior at his right hand to give. So these have to be gifts to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So God raised him up to extend Christ to everybody in the world. I believe everybody in the world could be saved. And listen, it's it's not God's desire that anybody in this room, anybody in this room, be separated from him forever. Matter of fact, the Bible says this, that he's not slack concerning his promise, talking about his coming, but he's long-suffering. In other words, he's long-suffering for his coming because it's his will that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So what are these gifts? See, real Bible salvation takes place when God opens our understanding by the gospel. See, I believe when you hear the gospel that you're a candidate to be saved because the power of the gospel is what opens our understanding And the power of the gospel then enables us. That's what grace is. For by grace are you saved. It's it's God enabling me. Some people say, man, I never could be a Christian. Boy, I can't either. I can't live the Christian life. I can't either. I stopped trying. I'm taking one who can. Jesus Christ is the Christian life. He lives his life out through us once he gets on the inside of us. Listen how 1 John says it, 1 John 5, 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So as they're giving their testimony before the council of the resurrection. They said God raised him to be prince and savior and to give you repentance, forgiveness of sin. Notice, first of all, he extends repentance. Well, this is a missing word today in Christianity. What does it really, what does repentance mean? Well, I'll tell you several things about repentance. Number one, repentance is a gift from God. It says it right here in Acts 5. 31. Repentance is a gift from God that that God, by the power of the gospel, will enable me when I hear and I'm under Holy Spirit conviction. God will, if I'm willing, God will enable me. God will enable me 
to change my mind. See, it starts in the mind about myself and about Christ and then able me to turn away from my sin and trust fully in Christ. It's a miracle of God. It's a supernatural act of God. Repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of behavior. But listen, we can't repent on our own. Nobody can repent on their own. It takes grace. It takes enabling grace. And the opportunity, here's the burden of the whole day for me. The opportunity to repent is coming to a close. Folks, listen, we're not in just in the last days. We're in the last hours of the last days. How do I know that? Well, in Israel, they already have about everything ready to build the temple that's going to be constructed. They have the sacrifices. We were talking yesterday, and I said, just logically, how long does one of these sacrifices live? And our world is coming to a point of chaos. The rapture of the church could happen any moment. And when it happens, believers are going to be caught up. 1 Thessalonians. The Holy Spirit is no longer going to be on the earth. There's going to be total chaos. There's going to be a good-looking, slick, talking, smooth-tongued peace giver called the Antichrist. And he'll come in and he'll say, hey, I've got it all figured out. I know how to bring us all together. You say, what if I'm living during that time? It's over for you. The time to repent is running out. a change of mind that results in a change of behavior. Listen, God's setting everything up politically. Why do you think we're getting ready? We're almost at a cashless society. We're going to have a choir. We're going to have a one world currency. And the tribulation period is going to begin. And I personally do not believe that anybody that's hearing the gospel in this day, if you're left behind, will have an opportunity to repent during the tribulation because God will give you a deceiving spirit. Today's the day. That's right. Notice also extends forgiveness. Oh, I like this. See, God just doesn't want me just to repent to tell him how sorry I am. God wants to forgive me. He said to extend forgiveness, and he wants to extend forgiveness to all his sin. But y'all better hear me and hear me well. There is no forgiveness apart from repentance. 
Spurgeon said before he died, there'll come a day in the church where preachers will be like circus preachers. They'll entertain goats more than they feed sheep. There'll come a time where people will believe there's forgiveness without repentance. I'm going to be bold this morning, and you don't have to like me, but I want you to know him. God will not forgive anybody that's not willing to repent. You say, does that mean my life changes? No, that means he changes your life. He'll give you the want to. You say, well, here's what forgiveness means. Why would anybody, why would anybody reject and pass by the forgiveness of God? Here's what the word literally means. It means to lift up and send away. So before I was saved, I was, I was burdened down with all the sin that I was committed. Even 1986. And just, just, just caught up. I was a slave to sin. But when I got converted, he lifted it up and he sent it away. You say, do you not carry any guilt and shame for the sin you committed before you were saved? No, sir. You know why? Because I understand justification. I understand when I get in Christ and Christ gets in me, it's just as if I had never sinned. Not because I'm good, but because he's perfect. You say, how far has he sent it away? Listen to this. As far as the east is from the west. Now just time out. Just time out. Somebody stand up and tell me how far it is. Somebody. How far is it from east to west? Infinite. Now listen, I'm not a science guy. I don't know geography well, but here's what I'm told. If you keep going east long enough, you'll end up going west. Right or wrong. If it's circular, God has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. He's lifted it up and sent it away. And so I like to say it this way. Forgiveness is when God treats me like I had never sinned because he treated Jesus like he had sinned. So God treated his son like a sinner so he could treat me the way he treated his son. I didn't say Jesus had sin. I said he became sin. That we could become the righteousness of God. And then lastly, he extends new life. Can you see the progression of him extending Christ? There's repentance. There's forgiveness. And the Bible says, and he also gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. I, I, wish, I, could exp I wish I had human words to explain this. But I really don't have it. All I can tell you is this. That when you get born again, you receive a new life. I mean, you get a new set of eyes. You get a new heart. 
You get a new purpose. You begin to want things you didn't like before. You begin to hate things you used to love. It's because you literally get God's life. Romans 6, 4 says, therefore we were buried with him through baptism, that spiritual baptism, not water baptism, into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So really, theologically, a sinner, when they're born again, they get resurrected. Amen. Ephesians says, God raised us up together with Christ and seated us in heavenly places. And ladies and gentlemen, all this is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, do we have something to celebrate? Choir, y'all did such a good job celebrating it. Do we not have something to celebrate in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Church, do we not have something to celebrate in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? That God would extend repentance and forgiveness and new life to us? And then to cap, to cap it all off, just another benefit. Then I get to spend eternity with God forever and ever. How many here? How many here would get honest enough where you would confess and admit, you know what? I really need Jesus Christ. My life hadn't changed. There's no evidence or fruit in my life that I've repented at all. I used to be there. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed is we're going to offer God's invitation of the gospel. You're not responding to me. You're responding to him. Our ministers will be up front. There'll be a minister in the balcony. Listen, if you don't know Christ, if you've never come to the point where you've repented and received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you today now listen, these ministers can't save you, but they'll help you. They're here to minister to you. Go to one of them and just simply say, I need Jesus Christ. There may be some of you here today, you've been visiting this church a good while. And today on this Resurrection Sunday, you need to come and unite with this local body if God's leading you to do that. Others of you just may need to come to the altar and do business with God about whatever. Lord, I praise you and I glorify you. I thank you for the message of the resurrection. I'm so thankful that you raised Jesus Christ as your first fruit offering. Oh God, that we could be recipients of the resurrection and receive Christ and repent and be forgiven and receive new life. We give you praise. Lord, draw people to yourself today. God, I can't save them. I'm not going to try to. God, speak, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.